KRCL, Salt Lake City. Homegrown's all right with me. Homegrown is the way it should be. Homegrown is a good thing. Plant that bell and let it ring. Homegrown. Little homegrown for you to get us started on Punk Rock Farmer Friday. Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community tonight. We're a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Stick around. We're going to be talking with uh, Red Butte Gardens' Craig England about fruit tree pruning tips, tools, and timing. you got a lot of time to think about those things during the winter, and it's not that far away, I understand. Stick around for that conversation, plus Skywatcher Leo T. A couple of stories from our partners at Rocky Mountain Community Radio. And we're going to get to some fresh, homegrown music from Logan's own Salduro. But first, the punk rock farmer is in St. George. Hey, Al, how you doing? Really good. Boy, we're running ragged down here, but we're having a great time. Um, yesterday started off with farm tours and an amazing wine tasting at the Water Canyon uh, Winery in, over in Hilldale. And uh, boy, it was a great day. And then we had an amazing dinner last night. And then I got to stay a little bit after the dinner and we ushered in the seed exchange, which went off amazingly. There was so much locally grown seed there and a huge long table, probably oh, 50 feet long. And people lined up on both sides, just grabbing seed. An amazing turnout this year, uh, back to normal for sure. There's a couple hundred people here, easy. Yeah, so uh, folks down there gathering, talking about small-scale farming. I know at JM40A, their keynote that we had on the show, was it just just last week, Al? It seems like it was longer than that, but I think it was just <laughs> last week. So what's on tap tonight and tomorrow, and uh, what are you hoping to bring back? I know you've already been sending me up some audio clips for the show for <laughs> next week. So this morning, um, today was tabling down in the lobby here at the Heritage Center, beautiful old building here right in the middle of Cedar City. And then uh, workshops today, all day, and a wonderful keynote um, speech from uh, Kat Pusey from the uh, St. George Farmer's Market, where there's been a little controversy lately, and boy, oh boy, she is one driving force, and we're going to have her on the show, but I did send you a little clip of that, and then there's no rest for the wicked. We have a dinner break coming up here at 6, and then it's to the mixer and the KRCL-sponsored mixer from 8 to 10. Jam Portier is going to be there. We're going to be drinking some Ad Place cider, and, uh, and tomorrow we go again, but tomorrow's only a half day, so it's, it'll, it'll be time to breathe a little bit. I, I've been saying St. George. You're down in St. George. You are in Cedar City. I'm so excited for Cedar. you talking to the St. George folks, though, about that farmer's market controversy, so that'll be yeah. good to get them on the show next week and in the coming weeks as they, they deal with politics that has nothing to do with growing nutrient-dense, uh, small-carbon footprint food, right, Al? You're right. You're right. Boy, the cat uh, did her speed, her keynote, and it was just amazing what she's done for that market and 
I mean, they had 6,000 people on opening day in 2022 at that market. Wow. And especially when they were forced to close during COVID, I think just the year prior. Hey, Al, you mentioned Etta Place and cider made from apples. I know you have a fig tree. We got uh, Red Butte Gardens, Craig England with us to talk fruit pruning, fruit tree pruning. So you got any questions that, that maybe you want to put to him right now? I'm going to turn on his mic. Hey, Craig, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? If you got a question for him about prune, pruning fruit trees, he's all yours right now. Okay. So right now, Craig, I have a I have a fig tree that's got about a uh, an eight inch diameter trunk on it, and mm-hmm. I cut it back every year uh, to to my height, about eye level, and it grows fing- and I leave fingers on the four limbs that I have. My uncle told me to to um, cut it back to a north, south, east, and west branch. He grew fig trees in California uh, when it was little. And now it's a beautiful tree, and it has four limbs. But on the end of the limbs, there's fingers that stick up where I cut it. Should I be cutting it on the on the actual uh, branch, or should I just keep trimming the fingers? I would say trimming back those fingers to keep the tree dense. I think that's a big thing, especially because figs are, I think, kind of marginal here in uh, in Salt Lake, so they take a little extra care. So anything we can do to keep that tree compact and dense, I think, is a good idea. Um, yeah, that, that, that would be my advice. Um, figs are, I've pruned a few figs. I used to live in Berkeley, California, and took care of some there, although it never really got hot enough there to really get them ripe. So we have the heat, but we just need to kind of get them through the winter. That's the, the big issue here. So, so if you keep cutting the fingers off every year then you 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 shorten the the limb and and i'm worried about just shortening it all the way down <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think but but it, but it does like spur a lot of other growth on the inside of the plants i think when you do, when you do keep that compact like that and so by by keeping a dense plant i think that extra growth helps to protect the tree as a whole. So Makes it more it, robust. Yeah, make it through the winter. There you go. Al, it sounds like you uh-huh. might have to get a consultation when you're back. <laughs> I think I might. <laughs> well, hey, say hi to Sarah, Sarah and Cimbria and everyone at Red Acre Center and Red Acre Farm CSA, the producers of the Utah Farm and Food Conference. And uh, we'll see you when you get back. Safe travels. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Take care. That's Aldine, Strict 9, KRCL's punk rock farmer, zooming in live from the Utah Farm and Food Conference, and we'll have more of his coverage next week when he's back in the studio. But now we're going to go live to the sound studio here at KRCL, where we've got the folks from South Doro. Hey, welcome to KRCL, finally. Hey, thank you so much for having us. You know, and I, sh- I, I should explain the finally, because uh, y'all played your when your instant, instant gramophone came yeah. out and it was nine one minute songs yeah that was last time we had you live yeah that and, w- and we played the whole thing because yes, it's did. only nine minutes of music <laughs> which you might have to do again if we <laughs> if we need it at the end so just be thinking about those songs really quickly but uh Salduro you're up in Logan tell us about being a band up in Logan Maggie oh uh, it's all right we play in Ogden a lot <laughs> <laughs> introduce the band I'm uh Maggie Renee uh vocals uh rhythm guitar and i write the songs and then tanner is my partner in crime if you ever see us live um when my foot's not broken we do high kicks together his is way higher than mine it's amazing (laughs) so this is tanner lex jones on lead guitar um on the drums we have professor fox ali fox of utah state university um music therapy give us a drum roll (laughs) 
love She's it. She's quite good. <laughs> and on the bass, we have Zachary Perry, and he is steady as a rock. I think he, of him as a really intricate brick wall that just gets more interesting the more you look at it. Oh, there's a relationship there, I'm guessing. <laughs> That's inside baseball. All right, so <laughs> we're going to be here throughout the hour with us. And you got a new album out. In fact, while I was um, off gallivanting in October, you, you were uh, scheduled to play, and then some illness befell the band. And you were going to do the slow rollout of your new album, which is Interior Decorating. What happened today with that album? We put it on Spotify just Congrats. so that we could announce it on the radio. <laughs> So, folks, if you like what you hear, you can get this later. But uh, what's the first song? Set it up for us and let's go. All right. This is Waltz number four. It's actually not on that album. Ah, well, anyways. <laughs> it's really good, though. The next one is. Okay. I promise. <laughs> Salduro, live, fresh, and homegrown here on KRCL Radioactive.
It's many cultures, one sky, as we look up in the sky and see a little blue in between the waves of winter. And coming home after seven just the other night, I was so happy to see a clear sky with Orion sparkling in the west and Taurus the Bull with the star trails, swirls, and red stars. And in the early morning, Comet C-2022E3 reaches perihelion, or the closest approach to Earth. And around 4 a.m., look high in the northeast, floating in the constellation Corona Borealis, which looks like a twinkly circle. You want to grab binoculars to see this comet. It may just look like a little streak in the sky if you're lucky. And if you're really lucky, you might be able to see its green color. The last time scientists believed this comet was visible was 50,000 years ago in the upper Paleolithic era when the Neanderthals were roaming the Earth. The comet may not make its way back to Earth again due to its wide eccentric orbit around the sun, uh, but that will bring it into the inner solar system and back to outer space. But in a few weeks, the incoming comet will be at its brightest and best in the evening sky, when it will be much easier to find and hopefully more impressive. Tracking the newly found comet, which I am putting forth a challenge to listeners, if you choose, just for fun. Let's name the comet. Of course, it won't be official, but kind of fun. If you choose to, please submit or suggest your name ideas like Waldo the Magnificent Comet or something like that on the Skywatcher Facebook page. And coming up, we can track the comet's progress on the nights of January 26th and 27th. It can be conveniently found passing several degrees to the east of the Bowl of the Little Dipper. On the evening of January 27th, it will be to the upper right of Orange Kochab, the brightest of the two outer stars in the bowl. On the evening of February 1st, when the comet is passing closest to the Earth within 28 million miles, it will be within the boundaries of the vague and dim, twinkling constellation of Camelopardalis. By February 5th, it will pass within a couple of degrees to the west of the brilliant yellow star Capella. And the next night, it will be within the triangle that makes up the GOATS asterism in Auriga, and will be located almost directly overhead around 8 p.m. Being able to see the new comet will depend on a variety of factors, including location and light pollution. Since its discovery, stargazers and astrophotographers have captured amazing images of the gorgeous green comet. Take a look at their images on the Skywatcher Facebook page. John Chumack of GalacticImages.com caught the image above from Yellow Springs, Ohio, and uh, there's some other great shots in there. It's many cultures, one sky, for comets have always seemed to scare the daylights out of many historic cultures. Thanks to the University of Washington and Joel Schwartz for condensing the following. Pope Calixtus III excommunicated Halley's Comet in 1456 as an instrument of the devil. And in the following century, the appearances of comets were seen by Inca and Aztec astrologers as signs of divine wrath, leading to the downfall of their own empires as well as that of their invaders, Spain. The approach of hale Bop was heralded by a rash of claims that the comet is accompanied by a dark companion, shadowing the comet by a large spaceship four times the size of the Earth, and it's being controlled by extraterrestrial intelligence. Why do celestial phenomena, particularly comets, provoke such extreme reactions? Whenever a major event occurs in the environment that is unusual, it is frightening because it's not natural, or so we say, and because we have no explanations for it and can't control it. So says Robert Kohlenberg, an associate professor of psychology who studies how people learn. Many of us, though, now, and maybe historically as well, look at the comet as a beautiful representative of our galaxy and beyond. And let's all make a wish upon a comet as we keep the magic going and look up, look around, and get a little bit lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T. On Radioactive, KRCL with Laura Jones and Aldine, the punk rock farmer. Oh, thank you, Leo. You take him up on the the comet naming options. You can do that when you follow him on Facebook. Check tonight's show notes 
for a link. All right, time for rallies and resources, which you can find at krcl.org. Click on the Community Affairs tab, and you'll find this list we curate for all radioactive listeners. And tomorrow, it is the rally to save our great Salt Lake, noon to 3 at the Utah State Capitol in downtown Salt Lake City. If you need an address for that, folks, if you haven't been to the People's House, it is 350 North State Street. And this event is going to be uh, put on by Great Salt Lake Audubon, Heal Utah, Utah Rivers Council, Plant-Based Utah, Stop the Polluting Port, Save Our Great Salt Lake, Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment, Salt Lake City Air Protectors, and you if you go. And what they're saying is that the 2023 legislative, excuse me, the 2022 legislative session was a good start in terms of saving the Great Salt Lake, but they'd like to see drastic action this year that matches the urgency and severity of the lake's crisis. They say it's an all-hands-on-deck moment, and the legislature starts next week, folks. They've got the power to make enormous strides to get water to our namesake lake, but it's going to take a groundswell of community pressure to hold lawmakers accountable, let them know we're watching. So they would like you to join with them and raise your voice. Together, we've got the power to protect our future and our Great Salt Lake, says the folks behind Rally to Save Our Great Salt Lake. They'll be on the south steps of the Capitol starting at noon tomorrow. And they also let me know that Buzz Coffee Truck will be selling coffee starting at 1130. So if you need your jolt to get going for the rally, you can do that there. Tomorrow and all weekend long, folks, it's Martin Luther King Day on Monday and uh, turning the weekend, if not the day, into uh, a service experience in the community is on the minds of many, including the Benyon Center. From 9 a.m. to 12.30, they have service projects throughout the community. And if you go to Rallies and Resources, uh, you can still sign up. It's the kickoff event for a week of Martin Luther King observance and activities at the University of Utah. And then Tuesday next week, it is Choosing Love Over Hate, a conversation with Reverend Franz Davis, 11 a.m. in the Gold Auditorium at the J. Willard Marriott Library at the University of Utah, a Q&A roundtable discussion with Reverend Franzi Davis to learn about his experiences and discuss choosing love over hate in navigating today's challenges. And I've got a link for you to learn all about it. So go to Rallies and Resources at krcl.org. Again, it's under the Community Affairs tab. Now for some stories to share with you. More Saldoro on the way. And Rebuke Gardens, Craig England is here for the uh, Punk Rock Urban Farm Report later this hour to talk about fruit trees, pruning, tips, tools, and timing. So stick around for that. But first, this year, four out of five Americans are eligible for an Affordable Care Act health coverage for $10 or less a month, thanks to increased subsidies in this year's Inflation Reduction Act. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU's Alexis Kenyon has more. About 11 million people have already signed up for 2023 coverage, about 13% more than last year. But nearly half of all insured adults have neither looked for information about the marketplace coverage or tried to obtain coverage. For that group, Affordable Care Act coverage open enrollment closes on Sunday. Here to fill us in on everything we need to know about the Affordable Care Act insurance is Laura Packard, a Denver-based healthcare advocate and founder of Healthcare Voices. Laura, welcome to the program. Good morning. So to start, tell me about the ACA deadline that's coming up on Sunday. What do people need to know? 
Well, Sunday, January 15th is the deadline to sign up. Uh, this is open enrollment, which means that anyone can enroll and you can still enroll after the deadline. If you have a specific reason, like you lost your job or you got married or a life change, but for most people, the deadline is Sunday. Okay. So, but for those who think they might not qualify or they checked it out in years past and didn't get any financial benefits or coverage, what should they know? Is there anything different about this year's coverage than years past? Yes. Uh, so Biden's IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, it made health insurance more affordable through 2025. So for the next few years, and depending on your income level, it could be quite a lot. Uh, premiums are capped at 8.5% of your income. And whether you can get subsidies based on your income and based on you not having good uh, health insurance through your employer, those have been extended through the Inflation Reduction Act. So maybe uh, in the past, a few years ago, you tried to get health insurance and it was just too expensive for your family. Uh, you can go back now, check it out, see how the prices compare and plans are more affordable than ever for many Coloradans. So enrollment is actually up this year, even before the deadline. It's up about 13% compared to where it was at last year. Why is enrollment up? And who is signing up for this coverage? Well, it's 3 million new people. It's close to 16 million overall. That's nationwide. And in fact, it's record signups this year. And I think that it's a few different things. I think that the Inflation Reduction Act makes it more affordable for lots of people that couldn't get it before the pandemic. And also uh, the Biden administration believes in the Affordable Care Act and is doing promotional work on it as opposed to cutting the promotional outreach efforts. So I think it's some better marketing. It's the pandemic and it's that it's more affordable. Are there any healthcare scams that people should avoid? I think, I mean, I'm pretty internet savvy. And when I first started looking into ACA, I was confused. And then there's the state one and the federal one. So what should people know? Well, I think it's good to start at connectforhealthco.com because then you know you're looking at Affordable Care Act plans. If you just go to Google and Google health insurance, you could see ads from maybe places that are less reputable. And one thing to especially beware of is health sharing ministries. Health sharing ministries are not insurance. It's a group of people, often religiously affiliated. It, it really isn't coverage at all. And you could find out, unfortunately, the hard way when something actually happens. So start at connectforhealthco.com. And you know, at least you're starting with reputable ACA plans. Laura Packer is a Denver-based healthcare advocate and founder of Healthcare Voices. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And that story from KGNU's Alexis Kenyon, shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio. Across the West, bighorn sheep are at risk of catching pneumonia. And the illness can kill off herds and throw off entire ecosystems. Wyoming researchers are currently monitoring a Jackson herd. And they're taking to the air to look after the health of the sheep. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Mersbach reports. A helicopter 
flies above the snowy open hills in the Grovant Wilderness in Teton County. Researchers like Allison Cordemanche are capturing big horned sheep. This time of year, they should be in their best body condition coming out of the summer and the fall. She's one of the many researchers with the Wyoming Game and Fish Department out here on this frigid winter morning. Pilots are tracking down nearby sheep, which have GPS collars. Crew shoot down a net, and one member called a mugger jumps out of the helicopter, binds a bighorn's legs together, and blindfolds it. Cordemanche says this keeps the sheep relatively calm as it dangles on a rope below the helicopter. It's flown back to the researchers in hills nearby, where they take measurements before releasing the sheep back to the wild. So we're looking at the amount of fat that they have on their body to get an idea of how well they did through the summer. Cordemanche and other biologists gather this data before and after the winter to see how the habitat is impacting the Jackson herd. 6'11", 34'30". First we put it on the scale so we can get body weight and then bring it over to be processed on the mat. That's Ben Regan, a research scientist holding down one of the squirming female sheep. And we start off by getting a temperature and that way we can see if the sheep is hot, if the, if the chase time might have been a little bit longer. As the helicopter flies overhead, Regan uses an ultrasound to measure fat on the sheep. Then he checks to see if she's lactating, to see if she has a lamb. Next comes the tonsil and nasal swabs. Basically, we're able to look at what pathogens they have that might possibly lead to uh, pneumonia, which is a big disease that affects wild sheep in the West. There used to be about 2 million bighorn sheep in North America. The National Wildlife Federation says now there are less than 100,000 of them. Cordemanche says this is largely due to pneumonia, which was introduced by domestic sheep. Wildlife scientist Kevin Monteith is with the University of Wyoming. He says die-offs from pneumonia happen when the population is reaching its carrying capacity in the local habitat. When we reach those, those high levels of abundance, that can be tied to animals that are competing for food, which means poor nutritional condition, which means kind of one more layer that they're contending with when you add their efforts to contend with pathogens at the same time. The last herd die-off was a decade ago, and the researchers worry it's due for another. Recently, the herd had over 500 sheep, a high for the group. So in the fall, the Game and Fish Department issued limited hunting permits for the female sheep for the first time, researchers predict that by reducing the population, the herd will become healthier with more food to go around, and they'll be able to fight off the illness. And so this population is very large right now. It's near that historic abundance where we often see those, those crashes. And so we've been sort of waiting, wondering if we're going to see it and if we're going to actually observe that. At the recent Jackson capture, the researchers didn't sound the alarm, but they are seeing red flags. More lambs have been dying of pneumonia, and the sheep have slightly lower levels of body fat, which has been on the decline for the last few years. Monteith says it's still too soon to know if reducing the herd has had any impact. The reality is it just simply takes time. But this herd is thriving compared to another group of bighorns that traverses cliffs nearby in the Tetons. Those sheep have received heightened attention in recent years as development restricts migration patterns, which some environmentalists say is threatening their health. Allison Cordemanche with the Game and Fish Department manages both the Jackson and the Teton herd. You have one herd that's 
almost doing too well and that we need to kind of reduce the population numbers. And then we have another herd like the Tetons that's struggling and not doing very well. So we do very different management depending on, you know, what's going on with that specific population. Researchers will reassess the population of the Jackson herd in February and then decide if they should issue even more hunting permits. But today, the captured bighorn sheep get to return to the wild. So we're about to release them back onto the hillside. The biologists carry a female sheep over to the nearby hill, remove her blindfold, and untie her legs. And within a few seconds, she takes off through the snow, ready to brave the winter ahead. Hannah Mersbach, KHOL News. That story from KHOL shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Utah, including KRCL. I'm Laura Jones, and it is Punk Rock Farmer Friday, and in the studio, live, fresh, and homegrown, we've got the folks from Salduro. And Maggie Renee, new That's album, me. finally on Spotify today. Yeah, can you believe it? I know, right? <laughs> Interior decorating. Tell us about making this album. Sure. Uh, so we recorded it in three different locations. With three <laughs> By choice? audio engineers. <laughs> and uh, what came together is... Well, I think it's great. Yes. It's a little like a Wilco summer teeth, <laughs> also <laughs> partly produced in Pro Tools. <laughs> well, you mentioned and then we switched. <laughs> yeah, you switched to what? Uh, Logic. Okay, so you switched programs <laughs> in the middle. That had to have been kind of rough. It was a derailment. Yeah, uh, but you know what? Uh, what we got, we're really happy with the songs. Some of them are just, you know, gorgeous. Um, I feel like I had to kind of make a break with this album at one point and that literally happened when I broke my foot the <laughs> night of our release show in Ogden oh, I'm so, sorry. so it was like a metaphor that came a little became a little too literal <laughs> so <laughs> was this album trying to harm you <laughs> that's why we're playing um some songs that are not from the album oh okay all right well <laughs> but so this next one actually is okay tell us about slow train yeah um so there's actually this uh where Zach grew up there's a train that hauls steel out to Nucor, the uh, facility that recycles metal and stuff. And it goes really slow. And uh, the kids used to go and try to hop on it. And uh, I just thought it was a nice metaphor for uh, escapism. <laughs> well, fresh and homegrown at Saldoro, slow train on KRCL 90.9.
KRCL, your community connection since 1979. Koi Studio is an in-house, sustainable cut-and-sew studio at Clever Octopus that utilizes reclaimed textiles to create one-of-a-kind tote bags, fanny packs, dop kits, dog bandanas, dog toys, and more. Always available at Clever Octopus, 2250 Southwest Temple in Salt Lake, and online at cleveroctopus.org slash COI studio. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. Coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now!, followed by Not a Sideshow with Circus Brown at 8. Friday Night Fallout with Keith at 10.30. Get your liquid liquid rhythms with Ken Barola at 1. Random Shuffle, new program with Peter Oram at 4 a.m. And then Chanelie starts your Saturday Breakfast Jam at 7. John Florence back for Saturday Sagebrush Serenade at 10. All right, you miss any of those shows, you can listen to them on demand for the last two weeks at krcl.org. Hit programs, and there's a listen on demand button where you sort by date and program title. Aldine's on the road down in Cedar City, as you heard earlier in the hour when he Zoomed in live. He'll be back with us next week with tales, uh, true tales, of the Agrihood and the Utah Farm and Food Conference. In the meantime, I've got the Urban Farm Report for you. And joining me now from Red Butte Garden is Craig England. Craig, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Laura. You know, I was doing my research because I saw this workshop, first of all. I'm like, who's teaching this workshop on pruning fruit trees at Red Butte? I'm like, got to have this person on. It turns out it's you, Craig England. And then I'm looking at your socials, and I just have to share with folks your bio here. Gardener, father, baseman, cyclist, roses for mentor, chicken keeper, designer, among other talents. That's just one of your socials. <laughs> and then the other one for Roses of Utah, it's all the things you do at Red Butte. Rose Garden, the Floral Walk, Amphitheater, Horticulturalist of Living Plant Collections at Red Butte Garden in Salt Lake. That's a lot. That's, that's the full title, yeah. So you've been doing it a while, I'm guessing. Yeah, so I've been working at Red Butte now. This is, I'm almost at my fourth anniversary, like within a few days now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I've been working kind of in this field in various forms since the early 2000s. Yeah. yeah. So what was it like back then? What got you interested in this? Um, I started going to college for architecture and then I wasn't into it. And then I took this class on, uh, it was called, uh, I think it was called urban horticulture. And it was with this lovely um, Australian ad hoc teacher in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he had this little garden design class. And then I was like, oh, I could I do like landscape this. architecture. And I did that and I had to transfer schools and I went to Minneapolis after that. I've lived in several places. Mm -hmm. Um, And then while I was there, studied landscape architecture, kind of formal. Towards the end of that, I started finding the horticulture department. And uh, that's really what set me on this horticulture path. So, All right. So walk us through a day doing what you do, being you at Red Butte Garden, because it sounds like just a fantastic place to work. Shout out to Tristan Tavish, former Mm -hmm. boss here at KRCL, now over at Red Butte. Um, yeah, well, it changes a lot year to year. I mean, this is kind of our slow season right now. Yeah. Um, so we're in the office a lot, doing a lot of research, um, developing classes, um, writing papers and articles, things like that. Um, sometimes we get asked to do cool radio interviews. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so that, but then uh, not too long from now, come March, is when uh, the Rose Gardens season starts. So I, I do manage the Rose Garden. That's kind of one of my main jobs. And uh, so starting as close to March 1st as we can, we start pruning roses. The weather has a say in that, but uh, we prune roses, and it takes us three to five weeks to finish that task. Cause we All the rose bushes? How many rose bushes would you, or trees or whatever, the shrubs? <clears throat> uh, there are roughly 2,000 rose bushes in the whole garden. I'm, I'm responsible for, I think, like about 1,700 of those. Wow, that's um, a lot. A lot of thorns. Yeah, a lot of thorns. Like, yeah. we come out looking like you got in a fight with a cat. <clears throat> <laughs> all right, so you have this workshop coming up. Can you tell us about it, first of all? Um, yeah, so it is a beginning uh, fruit tree pruning and care uh, workshop. So we don't, we, we uh, uh, it's a two-part class. So uh, I teach it actually on Zoom currently. Uh, the, on Wednesday nights, February 1st and, and the 8th. Um, and we basically we cover tree anatomy, um, the way trees grow, um, some basic pruning techniques, um, how to uh, start a good fruit tree, how to rejuvenate that old fruit tree that you inherited when you bought your house. Ah, um, I've killed some fruit trees in my mm, time. Mm, it can be done. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty resilient, though. Yeah. So, um, And then, yeah, and then uh, we also cover a bit about fruit tree care and some good varieties for Utah. Okay, so you've got the Zoom classes, the 1st and the 8th, and then an in-person on the Saturday in the middle, right? Yep, Saturday the 4th. Okay. We, do some, we get out there and we do some pruning. So, But it's a small class. Is yeah. there still room? There is. Last I heard, there were uh, four spots filled, and maybe one or okay. two of those have been filled since then, so there should still be a few left. All right, so redbuttegarden.org. I'll put the link specifically to the class in the show notes tonight, but if you go under their education tab, you'll be able to find it just fine, February 1st, 4th, and 8th. It's called Pruning Fruit Trees, and I wanted to pick your brain ahead of this class. And like you said, um, a lot of us inherit the fruit trees that we, we care for. And at my last place, I had, they were in their completely wrong place. But then I had this cherry tree that had several graphs on it. So there's a lot of funky things that you can do with mm -hmm. the trees, right? But first, maybe we could start with some basics, like how to pick a good fruit tree. When you go to the nursery, because nurseries are going to start opening up, you know, spring is coming, folks, despite what... The weather feels like today. Spring is coming. So is there a good time to plant one? Is spring the right time? Is it just got to get it in the ground? Uh, spring is definitely a good time to plant here. I mean, you, you got to wait till the, the ground thaws, first of all. So that's often uh, later April into May, depending. Last year was really cold. Um, fall is also a great time to plant here. We're already past that. But um, it's a great time to get something in the ground and let it grow some roots through the winter and then leaf out in the spring. Mm -hmm. So when I go to a nursery, what am I looking for? And more importantly, what signs a, a fruit tree that's not the healthiest um if you want to check the, the twigs the branches on it check that they're pliable um if you can get at the roots sometimes you get a bare root tree that's like not in a pot and mm -hmm. if the roots are moist and pliable that's that's a way that's um, the care and feeding of the tree by the nursery yeah exactly that they've been taking good care of it um you want to look for a tree that has branching that's kind of evenly distributed around the tree um, just so you don't have to fight against the weird way that it was grown in the yeah. nursery. <laughs> so I have a really odd question. Does anybody grow, besides nurseries and wholesalers to the trade, grow trees from seed or are they cuttings always or what? I mean, how? I know nothing. So I am, you know, feed me knowledge here, Craig. Some people definitely do. We had a we had a guy who recently retired from the garden who was sort of famous for growing citrus. I mean, indoors there's not too many citrus that grow outdoors here in Utah, but um, there's a couple. Uh, but he would grow citrus from seed. Uh, he would uh, 
get that seed, take it out of his mouth, put it in the ground, and he get them to grow. And we have one of them actually growing in our office right oh, now. Yeah. Uh, my assistant Cheryl Underwood, she uh, it's, a, it's one of in her little plant menagerie in our mm-hmm. office. So. But most of we're talking, you know, some trees that have been growing for a while under the care of a nursery. Yeah. And so you have to, with, with especially with a lot of fruit, a lot of fru- fruit is cross-pollinated. So um, when you actually plant that seed, like if you planted the seed from an apple tree, it's not going to grow into the apple that you ate. It's yeah. going to be some crazy wild apple. It could be good. It could be garbage. Oh, so. Johnny, Johnny Appleseed <laughs> exactly. is going to be so sad. <laughs> so so um, you said cross-pollinated. So do I need to plant buddies? Like one of the mistakes I've made is not asking this question. Do certain trees or all fruit trees need a pollinating buddy? It's, it's a good it's a good question. And um, uh, a lot of times the tag at the nursery will say something about it on there. Or you can ask uh, someone who's an expert at the nursery. But uh, some trees are self-fertile. There's a, uh, And it really, I feel like, I can't say, oh, all apples are self-fertile. But l- 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 yeah. there's several different trees that are self-fertile. And then some trees that definitely need a buddy to uh, cross-pollinate. So, um yeah, you just got to kind of do a little research, but generally that information is pretty readily available at the nursery or someone will be able to help you. One of the mistakes I think folks make, or I know I have made, in either assessing the fruit trees that I inherit or deciding to plant new ones is, what do I really want from that fruit tree? Do I really want fruit? <laughs> um, how much fruit are we talking? What's going to happen once they start dropping? How would you advise newbies or folks who inherit uh, existing fruit trees to kind of analyze that? To analyze how if yeah. they, how much fruit they yeah, the, want. The, like, yeah, well, the the care and tending of fruit trees is a, a lot more than folks recognize they, once it starts dropping the fruit. It could be, yeah, yeah. I think there's like some simple things you can do to have like um, a healthy tree. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's good if you have a good productive tree. It's good to make some friends, or it's a good way to make friends. Like you know, it's nothing like distributing fruit around the neighborhood. Yeah, might take um, a couple of years once you start growing it, uh, but it's going to be as much as zucchini in the night, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, just leave on the front porch. Yeah. They're, they're there's a great tree. My son goes to Wasatch Elementary, and there's a quince and an apple in a front yard just around the corner where we park and we go pick them up. And there was a sign, take a quince. And they're like, look at <laughs> recipes. take my quince. So, yeah. Yeah, quince is one of your favorite fruit trees. I understand why. It what is. is the quince, anyway? Uh, quince is the uh, his, uh, literary golden apple of antiquity, right? It's, it's big. looks like a cross between an apple and a, a pear. It's kind of fuzzy when it's growing. Um, it's this big yellow fruit. Like some of them are like the size of big grapefruits, but um, they're uh, you can't just take a bite out of them. They taste awful. If you take a bite out of them, you have to get them really ripe, and then you need to then you need to cook them typically. Um, but it but it uh, it's related to apples and pears. Yeah. Um, its roots are actually often used as rootstock for apples and pears, um, or for pears in particular, I think. Um, but yeah, it's this big apple, and it uh, uh, it's often used. Um, uh, they, one thing you can do with it, which I like to do and my my cohort uh Cheryl likes to do that you cook it down into membrio which is like this it's like past jelly it's this sliceable jam that you can grow or that you can I'm sliceable sorry sliceable jam yeah it's really good and you eat it with manchego cheese and it's really delicious I think I've had quince jelly and yeah, stuff like that before you can find a little bit so how long did it take you to get a good quince and was it at Red Butte or was it in your own yard um, the ones that I've cooked with have actually been gifted from the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> we have a few in the garden right uh-huh. now, um, uh, up in the water conservation garden, the desert harvest area. They have some there. They're pretty young trees yet, so they're not really producing. A lot of fruit trees don't really produce for five or seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, I think they're getting about to be that age now. 
Um, so also, we can have some quince parties coming up. Yeah, right? okay. yeah. And then also actually um, being, uh, you might have seen in my biography that I kind of like to sneak fruit trees into ornamental gardens. And so uh, we're going to be planting a few fruit trees in the rose garden. Um, and, a, and a Havran Turkish quince is one of the trees that we'll, we'll be getting this year. So, and Is that good for cross-pollination or bringing in pollinators? Or why is just something fun you like to do, sneak them in there? I just think like we have... Uh, you know, lots of people, most people have ornamental gardens mm-hmm. and they take care of them. They spend a lot of money on them and stuff. And then it's like, why shouldn't you get a little something back? Like, and, and, <laughs> and, and it's very historic too. It's like my yeah. grandfather had a garden and like he grew a lot of food in his garden and it's something, maybe a generation we kind of lost a little bit of. And well, I think there's a Quint street right up there on Marmalade on Capitol Hill. Excellent. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Our heritage. We used to, you know, the, the LDS pioneers were the ones who mm-hmm. planted Marmalade, brought those with them. For sure. Um, to have that. And um, I'm kind of curious what you think about the weather right now. Um, we're talking about fruit tree pruning because it's coming up, but mm-hmm. I'm worried about them starting to bud. Starting to bud. Yeah. So what is your... Oh, with things getting a little yeah, warmer these getting, next couple it's days? It's been too warm. Um, I mean, yeah, th- th- that's a possibility. I mean, we definitely got some... It's supposed to stay in the 40s, I think, for the next few days. Mm-hmm. And then it does cool down. I have a picture from last year, March 9th. There was about 30 inches of snow in our garden. So it's a little cooler up at the garden, up at yeah. Red Butte. Um, that can be a thing, but I think we're it's still a couple months before we really mm-hmm. start breaking bud on most of our fruit trees. So Yeah, well, it's like, you know, when it's getting cold, you can go and throw out oh, something over your plants mm-hmm. and, but, and, and fruit trees too, crops. I see the news stories in the orange groves and things like that when it's too cold and the fruit crop is coming on. But is there anything you can do? To warm them up, I guess you could put heaters out there. Or, or like, I mean, well, to slow them down. Or to down, slow them maybe. down, yeah, yeah, sorry. Get my own logic um, going here. I would say when that starts happening, it's like, get your pruning done. You don't really want to prune once they start breaking bud, because okay. then the trees already put all that energy into leafing out. Ah, and so, so maybe keep an eye on it. Yeah, I mean, but um, this happens with our roses sometimes. Sometimes it gets really warm, and we start pruning in, like, yeah. February. <laughs> well, we still have another song coming from Saldoro to close the show, but we're talking fruit trees Uh, pruning, timing tips and tools with my guest here on the Urban Farm Report. It's Craig England from Red Butte Garden. And you got to check it out, redbuttegarden.org. I'll put a link in the show notes, but he's got a workshop coming up February 4th, 1st, 4th, and 8th, two on Zoom, one in the garden. And there's still a couple of slots left. So do check out the show notes if you are interested. But uh, all right, so what is the timing? Forget the weather. When are we wanting to look at the fruit trees in our yard? And then let's get some tips and some tools. Yeah, uh, well, you don't want to prune too early. Um, so, uh, but also surprisingly, like mid-February is the time to prune your trees. That's right around the corner. Yeah, it's not that far away. Um, so I think when I first started pruning, I was surprised you, you did it so early. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, mid-February is a great time. Um, the trees are dormant. Um, you can see the trees. Um, and this is for many trees. There's some a little bit of variation depending on what the trees are. But um, anyways, you can, you can see the architecture of the tree. You can see what's there. Um, also, the tree is just kind of in a, in a waiting, holding period. So it's a good time to, and, and it's also a time that you're not like transmitting, have the possibility of transmitting a lot of like tree diseases and things like yeah. that. So it's a good time for that. Well, talk about tools and how you treat them because transmitting tree diseases, you, you know, you want to bleach your tool between trees. It's, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, I, prefer to use alcohol. I mm-hmm. use like a 70% alcohol solution to um, to uh, sterilize my tools. Um, typically between trees, unless like obviously the tree is diseased and then you can go as far as like between cuts, which starts to get a bit uh, time consuming. But um, yeah, that's something to look out for if you do have, if you are experiencing tree disease. But um, um, yeah, so that's, it's one thing to think about for yeah. sure. But uh, um, 
What about the actual cut? Is it before or after the bud where the, the, the branches branch off or, you know, and shaping as well? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a big thing that we're doing with the trees. We're trying to shape the tree. We're trying to keep it a manageable size. Like if you can, you know, if you can keep your tree under eight to 10 feet tall, you can actually reach the fruit and you don't need a ladder, you know? So, um, yeah, we're trying to keep our, sh- our trees to a manageable size and an accessible shape. Um, and you're trying to also help it to form like really strong lateral branches that can hold all the huge fruits. Like I said, like a quince, like it can grow like five plus pound fruit. And so the branches got to be able to hold that. Um, when, uh, and, um, when is a good time to let the tree go? Cause I had this great cherry tree in this place. I lived for a, a long time and it put out some fruit for a while and then it just stopped and it was grafted in several places. I think the previous owner mm-hmm. imagined themselves someone who could do that and the graph started to die off too oh really yeah yeah Yeah, i mean there's a lot of stuff that can influence that like uh inopportune frost can kill a bunch of buds that can happen a couple years in a row and suddenly you're like oh my tree's not producing anymore um Mm -hmm. some trees produce heavier on opposite years so you might get a really heavy crop apples do that a lot um and then you might not get so many the next year um so and then also sometimes it's just like they need a rejuvenation they need a pruning yeah. they need some new growth and there's a little bit of difference and that's why you prune right yeah yeah and there's a little difference between like some stone fruits and and apples and, and pears and things so like uh like uh, uh peaches and pears need a lot of i'm sorry peaches and nectarines need a lot of like rejuvenation because they grow on new growth from last year so they need new new branches to grow in mm-hmm. where like apples and pears actually and actually i think apricots and some plums all grow on like long-lived fruiting spurs so you actually want to preserve those spurs because they'll they'll produce yeah. fruit for 10 years wow so okay lightning round okay favorite <laughs> amendment or treat for your fruit trees and then your favorite tool for pruning um i just like a composted manure mm-hmm. um I like my nice big set of Felco pruners, to be honest with you. (laughs) I got pretty strong hands, so I can cut some, like, big branches. Um, So I I tend to use my pruners a lot until I can't possibly cut that. Then I get out a nice little – they make these little tiny silky – uh, they're called silky is the brand but these really sharp little pruning saws and they're only got like a three or four inch blade once yeah. you get past where you can't get it with your hand that little tiny saw you can get right in there because right sometimes things there. are kind of tight and you got to mm. get in there and you can cut that branch back and they're really sharp well if you want more tips on pruning your fruit trees folks craig england said there's still a couple of spots in the workshop he's got coming up february 1st 4th and 8th at redbuttegarden.org. Check the show notes for links. Thanks for coming in. Please come back. You're a bass player, too. So if you get a band going again, hey. love to have you. We'll look you up. All Thanks right. A lot. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks this for having great. us. great. I really appreciate it. And I'll include his socials, too, so you can follow folks. All right. I want to say thank you to Craig as well as Aldine for zooming in. Sullivan Petchenpang, our audio engineer. He's doing uh, sticking around for a, another band on Circus Brown's Not a Sideshow. The Dirt Nappers, I believe, are coming in to play live. But we have Salduro taking us out and Maggie Renee and the band we got one more song um, where can folks get the new album interior decorators you decorating know, so if you want the artwork which is awesome it's uh, done by Nick Smith it's a collage based and then Elise Smith uh, no relation uh, made some collage artwork to go on top of it you can add your own stickers to the album Sweet. it's like make your own album cover anyway if you want the whole thing you can go to salduro.bandcamp.com and i'll mail it to you or find us at a show or wherever and we'll we'll okay. sell you the whole thing otherwise uh streaming it's on all the platforms now so no shows there. right now while well, that foot's healing so <laughs> where what's the website and the socials where people can catch up with oh, you oh we're really active on instagram at salduro and salduro.com 
All right, fresh and homegrown. We got Sal Duro taking us out on Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and enjoy this, this great song coming your way right now.
KRCL, Salt Lake City.